we say good morning. Good morning. A great Sunday morning out there to come together and worship our great God. To be in His presence. God's presence is needed, isn't it? We need God's presence. And uh, if we look in uh, our study of Exodus, we find out that that's really what uh, Exodus is really trying to bring to us and, and to everybody who reads it. It's uh, the fact that God had delivered the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt and He wanted to be in their midst. He wanted to be in their midst. So, if He's in their midst, they could worship Him in a way that they hadn't. So God gave instructions. He gave them to Moses and He gave them over that uh, length of time, uh, some 40 days. So uh, they would have their way, uh, I mean the way into His presence. And the Israelites, we know, couldn't wait. And rather than doing it the way that God was coming up with and His terms, they did it on their own terms. And this led to disaster. And it led to the fact that God was even threatening to wipe out the whole race. Wipe them out as a nation. And Moses pled to God... Him being the mediator, that he would keep them, that he would restrain his wrath, and uh, God was an angry God at that time. Whenever they had done that idolatry, whenever they had made the uh, bull, and so now we're in a dilemma. God, who is a just and a holy God, must bring judgment. But He's also a God that has grace and mercy and love. And He wants to display all of His attributes. What a great time to be able to display all those. Uh, But there needs to be a mediator between the people and God. And Moses has already been appointed to do that. And so, he did it. Now the thing is, we saw at the end of chapter 32 that... uh, God wasn't going to destroy the nation, but He did say He was going to bring punishment on them. The consequences to it. I'll visit punishment on you. And He plagued the people because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron made. That's the way it closed in verse 35. Now the next question would be is, what about the rest of the journey? What's He going to do? Is is He going to continue with the people? How's God going to relate to the people now because of this great sin that they did, this idolatry? It's like one of the worst things One could do. How was God going to relate to them from there on out there in that journey? What's going to be their destiny? Well, that's where we're at now in the book of Exodus as we move into chapter 33. And uh, let's take the first six verses and we'll see that uh, God actually makes mention of Him withdrawing from their presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart. And go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I'll send the angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. This is really serious. This sin. Even though he is going to keep the nation, we see that he now says something that's quite remarkable. The whole reason for God's instructions to Moses about building that tabernacle is that he would be right there with them. You know, right in the midst. And now we read in that section that God is not going to be in their midst. As they journey on, I'm not going to go with you. Now this had to be horrifying to the people. This had to be horrifying to Moses. They're going to go to the promised land. They're going to get all the blessings. But somehow, God is not going to go with them. He'll send an angel. But this is, this is terribly different than what was planned to what was getting ready to, to happen for them. I think this is a, a true shocker to Israel. If they hadn't been shocked already, now they're very much shocked. The real reason why they built that idol was that God would be in their midst. He was just a symbol of God. But they were already told not to have symbols of God, right? Don't make any images. So, we see in verses 1 and 2, Israel, again, it's, it's repeated that uh, is going to be spared from God's wrath. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from there, you and the people. You brought out, so go on, go on to the promised land. 3,000 of the ones who had led, evidently, the idolatry that had happened were killed by the Levites. So that punishment has gone on. God was just and God was righteous. God was holy in doing what He did with those 3,000, wasn't He? Would there be anybody that would disagree with that? I don't think any of the other Israelites would have been saying, well, that's not fair. Because they're still standing. But these 3,000 are gone. And God does not wink at sin, does He? And in this case, this was a horrible sin. Something had to be done. So He displayed His wrath. And at the same time, He displayed His mercy and grace and love on the other people. Because He refrained from putting the wrath upon them. And He well could have, couldn't He? Could have wiped them all out. But He doesn't. And it wasn't because they were good enough. But it was because He... Gave mercy to them. And Moses had pled for that mercy. Had it not, the scripture says, had it not been for Moses, God would have unleashed his wrath. And that's a difficult one. We tried to wrestle with that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Moses is a perfect picture of Jesus Christ being the mediator. So, in this first verse, we see that. Um, they're directed by God to continue on with this journey. So that's that's pretty good news, isn't it? They're going to destroy him, and they're going to go ahead and go in, into the land. He could have said, "I'm going to, now for that. I'm going to leave you out in the desert, and you're going to be a wandering people from here on out." But he didn't do that. 
He said, you're going to go on into the land. So, good news. Seems like good news. It could be that uh, things were going to go back the way that they were, despite the great sin. The Lord said, depart, go up from here, you and the people. And God had promised that He'll bring them into the land. We know that that has been all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, that was all the way back to the patriarchs. And He also said that He's going to drive out the enemies, which He says in verse 2, the Amorite and the Hittite, Canaanite, Perizzite, and Hivite, and the Jebusite. Everybody's there. I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to do that. That's what I've promised. I'm going to follow through. And uh, I'll send you protection. And some translations will have an angel. Not the angel. I actually have a translation that says my angel, but I don't think that that is probably very good to put there because uh, most of the translations and some of the commentaries I read, it's kind of interesting that he doesn't say uh, the angel of the Lord here. When you think of the angel of the Lord, most of the time you think of uh, actually a pre-incarnate Christ possibly. I know there's discussion on that, but there are verses, I think many verses, that I think are very clear where it shows there there is a time where Christ uh, is in the, in the flesh, in a sense, that God brings them before His uh, incarnation. Uh, so that, that's how people are able to talk to God, to communicate. But here He says, uh, an angel. I'll send an angel before you. He's not saying, I'm going to be there with uh, cloud by day and fire by night. He says, you're going to go there. Yeah, I'll give you some protection, but I'm not going to be there. Ooh. Covenant promise. He's sticking with his covenant promise here of all that he said uh, that he was going to do. It was going to be carried through. So, it doesn't seem to work out as bad as it could have. It could have been destroyed. This is good news. But there is a major problem. The bad news. Matter of fact, you see the bad news in verse 4, don't you? And when the people heard this bad news, but if you back up in verse 3, you, you see what the bad news. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. There might be some other reason whatever, that I might have to just take you on out. And so therefore, I can't be there. Bad news. Good news. Bad news. First, the good news. <laughs> uh, this bad news makes the good news not look so good. Because you see in verse 1, it's interesting that one little word can make so much difference. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here you and the people whom you have brought out. Now, God has done this before, hasn't He? You brought them out, Moses. Your people. Now, you go back to chapter 5, verse 1, and in other places. God tells Moses to go up to Pharaoh and say... Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Here's what God says. Let my people go. That they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That they may worship me. Let my people go. 
So the Israelites are God's people, but when they have sinned here, God puts it right back to Moses and says, those are your people. They're mine. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Chapter 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down. Go down to the mountain. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Just like, you know, one parent saying to the other parent, That's your kid. And they've done something bad. Good, you know, they're mine. But he still is not really identifying himself with the people now. This had to really be bothersome to Moses, and he tells it to the people. So, but this this statement, I will not go in your midst. That that's troublesome. It had to be completely discouraging to the Israelites to hear this. You know, it, it must have demoralized them. Because that's really what they wanted. They wanted God in their midst and uh, they rushed ahead and did their own thing, find out what that brings. And here's where they're at. It's ironic. The very thing they wanted, now, He is out of there. Moses, you can go, but I'm not going with you. Boy, wouldn't that be devastating to you? You've been talking to God all this time. And you go all the way back to the burning bush and the, the plagues and everything that went through and then crossing the Red Sea and then the, uh, the food and uh, the water that God had provided. And here we have Moses hearing this. this. This is staggering. I think it just had to blow him away. This whole idea behind all this deliverance is that God would be in the midst of them. And that's what Moses understands. That's what the people understand. Now he tells them, I'm not going to be there with you. And it seems like all the 31 chapters up to that 32 where the sin happened is undone. It seems like it's just unraveled. Just blown up. (laughs) All of that. Yeah, God's presence is not going to be here. The greatest blessing that one can ever have is what? The golden streets? The pavement? See, whatever you see in Revelation or... I mean, all the things that are in heaven, you know, the, the, the great tree that's there that has fruits always coming off of it. Hey, go, go visit the planets or whatever. All the great things that's going to happen in heaven. Well, you know what? It's not about those things, those blessings that are going to be tremendous. I mean, if, if the Lord wasn't there, would you want to go there? That's why we want to go there. We want to commune with Him in, in a most complete way. I mean, He's here with us right now, but we we just don't see Him. We don't talk to Him face to face, literally. And that will happen. But the greatest blessing is God Himself. He. We want His nearness. We want His favor. We want His love. We want His approval, don't we? And you know what? Everything else would be absolutely worthless. Would be nothing without Him, wouldn't it? I don't think this is a setback to them. I think the way that they hear it, this is the end of the road. Who wants to go to that promised land without Him leading us? This is like a death sentence to them. (laughs) How devastating it is when one finds out their sin.
What would you think if God said, hey, you can have happiness starting right here in this world. You can have the money. You can have the prestige. But um, can't have my presence. What would you think of that? Would you feel empty? All those things all of a sudden mean nothing, don't they? Can you imagine getting to heaven and then finding out that God is not there? Where's He at? I don't think you can call heaven, heaven. He is what it's about. Samuel Rutherford said, Heaven would be hell if He were not there. And if you think about that, hell is absolutely away from the presence of God. Completely. Wouldn't that be a disaster? I know there's much more than that, but that's, that's really what it's about. It's totally away from God's presence. Without God, everything is nothing. Simple. With God, God is everything, isn't He? God is everything. He is our life. He is our enjoyment. People, I think, are realizing here they lost a great deal. How the sin that has been brought to them now has been made very evident. They lost out even when they had wanted God's presence, but they wanted about it in the wrong way. And God never operates on man's terms. He always operates on His own terms. So, they experience the consequences here. Now, if we want God's presence, we have to approach Him on His terms, don't we? And we have to bow to Christ. And of course, that's the only way that a person can get into the very presence of God, and it's through the very person of Christ. He is how we commune with God. If we didn't have the mediator, if we didn't have Christ, we could never, ever talk with God. That is the way that He makes it possible. Jesus Christ is the central focus, isn't He? Because He mediates. Well, you've got to ask this question, why would God want to remove Himself from them? Well, I think it's pretty obvious here. He answers it. Uh, one of the reasons in verse 5, For the Lord has said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked. Very sinful, very stubborn. And later on in the New Testament, when you have Stephen given that great message in Acts chapter 7, he said the people were what? Stiff-necked. Hmm. So God calls them that. And, and God, for another reason here, just might destroy them. There's a reason that He says that uh, He's not going with them. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. A consuming fire, God is. That's, that's rather uh, ominous, hanging over you, the fact that God could come and wipe us out in just any moment. So that's what they're, they're told there. That's the reason I'm not going to be there. Pretty good reason. So Moses said, okay. Well, that's not Moses, is it? <laughs> Moses is the great mediator. Well, we have the response of Israel, though, in verses 4 through 6. Moses goes, tells the people exactly what God told him. He's the go-between, right? 
When the people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. What's going on here? Well, I think it's obvious. I think there is definite mourning going on here. I would say there is contrition here. I think they are broken over what they had done. And they know they deserved everything that God said that He could do. They know that they deserve losing the blessing of the presence of the Lord forever. So their response is just appropriate. They heard it, they mourned, and they didn't put on their ornaments. Well, they have a they have a sorrow. They're mourning over sin. Blessed are the ones who what? Mourned. Those are the ones who recognize their sin. When when an unbeliever is brought to the point that he is evil and he's a disobedient children of the devil, a child of the devil, and he recognizes that he is brought to mourning, to absolute grief. They didn't put on their ornaments. You can say, well, what's the deal with that? Well, in that middle or the east in the Middle East, it was an outward expression of mourning when they wouldn't put on any kind of uh, the trinkets or um, the the gold. They still had gold around there, so it was a, it was a sign of mourning. And so they had finery, decorations, earrings, and all sorts of different things. You know, if they had some gold left, which evidently they must have. They had these ornaments and who knows what else, silver and what have you, but this is the kind of stuff that made the idol in the first place. Isn't that ironic? So the stuff that they had used for the idol, they have for their own selves for making the ornaments or having the ornaments. That's what got them in trouble in the first place. Not saying that um, stuff that you wear is evil and wrong and rings and what have you. But, um, at, at the, in this sense, it shows that they are really in mourning, uh, an outward visible sign. And so they express repentance here. And by doing away with the ornaments, they're showing that I believe they're truly repentant. They recognize what has been done. And uh, they are truly sorry. And how it is whenever sin is brought to us... Holy Spirit convicts us. We should mourn over that sin. We should have a godly sorrow. Second uh, Corinthians 7 talks about. Um, they're turning away from idols. That's also, I think, what's uh, representing. They put away their ornaments, put away their idols. And they think about what uh, what God has just said. They stripped themselves of the ornaments. They're right there. And now Moses comes in to play. Not not play as in having fun. He comes into the story here of being a, a mediator for the people. He has to go before the Lord again. Seems like this is uh, something he's been doing lately, uh, doesn't it? Moses, it says here in verse 7, This this talks about communion with God. He is going to have the communion with God. He's going to have the presence of God. The rest of the people aren't. He is. But check this out. 7 through 11. Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp. Far from the camp. (laughs) Did you get that? 
and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he'd returned to the camp. But a servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. <laughs> Joshua wanted to stay there, didn't he? This is interesting. They have a tabernacle. This It reminds us of the instructions that were given to Moses. Uh, is this the tabernacle? Where they're going to have the sacrifices and the priests? Which they haven't established yet, but they, Moses was given the instructions. This is not the tabernacle. This is called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle of meeting. But Moses is going to pitch a tent. You don't have the Levites here. You have Moses. And so it's called a tent of meeting. It's not accident because it's an alternate tabernacle in which at least Moses has access to God. And so it's not the tabernacle proper. It's a temporary meeting place for God and His man. People don't have access like they would in the tabernacle that is eventually going to be built. But they'd watch Moses as he entered the tent of meeting. And then they would worship. And it sure reminded them of what they lost by their sin. You know, he's getting ready to give them that tabernacle, which would be a tremendous, beautiful place. You remember the study that we had on that? And right now, that's not going to happen. It is going to, but right now, it's going to be delayed. And they're going to see Moses do his thing, and they got to just kind of stand and watch by the, their own tent door See where Moses is going way outside the camp. <laughs> Not in the midst of the camp, right? That's where the tabernacle is supposed to be, right in the middle. But this is outside. Moses was really close to God. I think that's fascinating. Time you get to that verse 11. Face to face, just like a man would speak to his friend. <laughs> Boy, isn't that something? I don't think anybody got this close to God in this way. I can think of Adam and Eve walking with Him in the garden and there must have been closeness there. I can think of Enoch that walked with God every day. But here Moses is just talking with Him like a friend, face to face. Somehow this is going on. Moses is really blessed by this. Like no other man in the history of mankind. What a picture of the mediator. God was really doing something when He did this mediator thing. He was showing how important we all need a mediator, don't we? Because we can't go before God by ourselves. 
without Christ. So God has an intimate communion with this man Moses. And he's just a man. He's just like us. And we saw him originally. Moses was scared. And Moses was making all sorts of excuses that he could to get out of what God wanted him to do. Of course, God didn't let him get away with that, did he? God had chosen this man to do this. What a relationship. And all at the same time, this is reminding the people what they lost. Yeah, you too could have a closer relationship to God. But here's what you did. <laughs> it's going to remind them, uh, without God, nothing else matters. And that's, that's really what they want. Listen, He is the blesser. And without the blesser, the blessings mean nothing. All the blessings we have today without Him are nothing. Now we get into this aspect of the only hope for regaining the presence. Right now it seems like they have no hope. They've already been told what God relayed through Moses. I'm sure they're wishing somehow I wish we could have access. It's such a distance out there. With Moses, though, this is an encouragement. Okay, he's, he's speaking for us. God's speaking through him. So he's not entirely abandoned the people, has he? It's like he's still there. So they recognize that Moses is the mediator. He is the mediator. They know that now. You remember that they were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain day after day after day after day and he kept delaying. And so they come up there and said, this man, whoever he is, this Moses, doesn't even come down here. We think he's gone. He'll probably never come back. So we need to do something. We need to do it now. <laughs> now Moses is there and they see him going to the tent. Do you think they're convinced? Yeah. They have to worship from afar. That's how they're worshiping. The cloud. What about that cloud? What showed visibly? It gave a visible sense that he was there. Later, the cloud will descend to guide the entire camp. But right now, it's descending there. Moses in a meeting. The blesser rather than the blessings. Do we have a focus right? Experience the blessings without God's presence. That's what God said. You're going to go to the promised land and you're going to have a land flowing with milk and honey. I won't be there. Do we ever take for granted the presence of God in our life? Do you know we have the Holy Spirit living in us? individually and as the body of Christ here and the whole body of Christ all over the world. The Holy Spirit is residing in us so much better than that tabernacle. He's residing there. Of course, these are not glorified bodies, but He still comes in to reside. I'll make my dwelling in you. Do we forget about that sometimes? The Almighty God of the universe resides in us. Remarkable. I'm sure Moses was just amazed. There he is. He's going there constantly, frequently, face to face, just speaking to God, just like he would anybody else. 
How that came about, I don't know, but that's incredible. What's God doing here? Well, you see the heart of the mediator from 12 through 17. Look at his heart again here. He's going to start building up arguments to God. (laughs) A man going to God because he's unsatisfied with the present circumstances. I get to go to the tent of meeting, but the people don't. My presence will not be with you. That's what God said. Moses gets real bold. He's done this before. He's going to argue the case. So he goes in behalf of all the people, despite their sin. And he goes right there, goes to God. Now, there are five arguments that you see in in this section, starting at verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also, uh, have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is <laughs> your people. And he said, this is God, my presence will go with you. And I'll give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses. I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. (laughs) Wow. Moses just kept at it. He gave the arguments. They were biblical arguments. This This is something. Moses could have said, Hey, I've got God for all myself. And fully with all the people, they're not going to follow him. I am. This is great. You know, I, I don't. I don't need the people. <laughs> Joshua kind of hangs around that tabernacle, though. You got to like him, right? We know that Joshua is going to be the next leader. He's a man after God's heart, too. Okay. Well, what are the arguments? Well, Moses' first complaint is that God has not told him who. Who's going with him? Okay, God, you've appointed me mediator. Alright? But you're not telling me what I need to know here. Who are you sending? Who's this angel? I'll send an angel for you. So he gives that argument. Bring up the zeal, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me, as he says in verse 12. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found grace in my sight. You have known me by name, and you have also found grace 
in my sight. You gave me favor. You gave me grace. Moses pleads the argument of election of himself. God had elected Moses to do this. It wasn't going to be anybody else. It's Moses. So he uses that. He says, God, you are unchangeable. You elected me to do this. You have favored me. You have known me. You, you chose me. You chose me to lead these people. I will be your God. And you'll be my people. He even talks about the people. So they're people by choice there. By God's choice. And verse 14. So, okay. Right then, the thirteen, and consider that this nation is your people. Moses says, "Your people." It brings it right back. God's been saying it's your people, Moses, and Moses says, "No, God, it's your people." <laughs> Boy, he's bold, isn't he? But you have to go boldly before the throne. Hmm. We are all mediators in ourselves, aren't we? We are priests. Peter says that we are priests. We are a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. We are. Individually. Not just one person. Each one of us is. We are mediators between the lost and God. Boy, how we really need to have a heart for the lost, don't we? God says, My presence will go with you, Moses. I'm going with you. And and I'll give you rest. I think God's giving quite the test here, isn't He? Is is Moses going to come through with this mediatorship? Is He going to really plead the cause for these people? The supreme importance of God's presence. What better thing is there in all the universe? What is God's presence? There's, There's nothing better. Without it, nothing else matters. If you're not going, Lord, Moses is going to say, kill us now. That's what he's saying in verse 15. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. He says that. You know, it's like uh, we were made for your presence. Remember that song we sing? Made to worship. Have you really thought about that? We were created for one main thing. To worship God. Him in our midst. Us with Him. Him with us. That's what it's about. Too bad most people don't know that, isn't it? That's really what they need. They need to be right in the presence of God. Well, Moses goes on. says in 16, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? How's anybody ever going to know about your grace if they don't see these people? Unless you're with us, how are they going to know? Apart from your tabernacle and your presence, how can your acceptance of me being mediator, how can that be proved? How can that be known then? If the two parties are to be brought together then, how can I be called a mediator? I'm the mediator here. I'm the one that's supposed to be doing this. And we see the true mark of the choice of God's people. It's the only true mark whenever God is with them. Wouldn't you say that's the way it is with us? The only true mark of uh, our reality 
is the presence of God in us. Now, some people may like that. Others may not like that. But that's what makes us different from the world. Because God is in us. The rest of the pagan nations. And God makes us different. He made Israel different from the rest of those nations, didn't He? And by the law, He showed that they, how they had to be so separate. So He says at the end of 16, So we shall be separate. Your people and I. Your people, God. Your people and, and me and I here from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And then God responds. And this is so beautiful. He answers. Didn't have to, but here He is. And he answers, So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and you know, and I know you by name. God says, Moses, you've prayed. I hear you. And I answer you. And I'm going to answer you what you prayed for. Because all along, this was really God's will. Moses is getting to know God. And we get to know what God's will is when we get to know Him better. As we study Scripture and as we seek Him out. And when we go in prayer, we pray the right things. And those are answered in His time. So God gave favor to Moses and He spoke to him face to face. If you remember way back in Genesis chapter 6, Verse 8, here's about the uh, wickedness and judgment of mankind. And, and God is going to destroy the earth as they knew it with the flood, but He's going to save Noah and his family. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. It all came from the Lord. That's what it's about, isn't it? Grace. Grace. Beautiful. This has to remind you of our great mediator. And all along through here, I know week after week we hear this. But you know what? There's nothing sweeter than the fact that we have Jesus Christ and He is the one that goes between us and God, mediating for us. This is a great foretaste, isn't it? And it showed the people, without Moses, what would have happened to them? God said He would have destroyed them. They said, well, God changed His mind. We talked about that. and That's, that's rather difficult. Uh, but there's a lot here what God has in His, maybe, uh, His will that Moses is, is finding out. And He has to go in there and intercede though. He has to pray and really pray hard and be bold. God does just as Moses asked because he was pleased with Moses. You have found grace in my sight. Would you like that? If you are His, you belong to Him, you found grace. You didn't really find it. (laughs) You saw it. He gave that to you though, didn't He? 
But you, you actually realize that. He gives it to you. God will be present with the people now for Moses' sake. And if you didn't ever know this story, you'd, you'd be hanging on going, oh, what's the rest of the story? Like when you read a good novel or uh, see a good movie, you can't wait to see what, what's up next. Well, we've heard this many, many times. But make it fresh in your own minds uh, how important it is to have the mediator, but then also to have the very presence of Him. Him living inside us, the Holy Spirit, being made like Christ. Don't ever take that for granted. That's a tremendous thing. We are to be changed. That's what this is about. We sin too, just like the Israelites did. You can say, yeah, but they, they finally got away with it. Well, there were consequences, deep consequences. And they had to wonder if they would ever have that favor again. God is so good, isn't He? Very patient, but we know He's just. So, did Moses succeed where he had compassion for his people? Yes. Even as bad as they were, he didn't do what they did, and he was ready to die right with them. (laughs) If that be the case, blot me out. And now that they have at least now the safety in the sense that they're not going to be judged by God and and, uh, destroyed, now he goes one step further and wants them to have the presence of Him. Therein lies the hope for people, for mankind. The hope. Christ. They need the mediator. Tell them about it. Intercede for those people. Let's pray.